Although it's not my word, we're talking about today, it's God's word. And that is specifically what we're going to be talking about today. Um, title of my message is, May I Check Your Brain? And I'm not talking about opening up your skull and peering inside. Uh, more along the lines of checking your brain like a coat check or a hat check. Because so many intellectuals you talk to today, a lot of intellectuals think that in order for a Christian to go to church, you actually have to check your brain at the door. And you leave it at the door and then it's there for you to pick up on your way out. And that's what a lot of them think because they say the Bible is just so unbelievable. But I submit to you that there is so much evidence for the truth of the Bible and the veracity of the Bible and the authenticity of the Bible, that personally I think you have to check your brain at the door not to recognize that. So this is a picture of an actual brain depository. Uh, they had some that had clear containers. I decided not to use that one. But this is what intellectuals think the first room at a church looks like. Now personally, I, when I think of a brain depository, I, I think more of this next one there we go. That's, that's kind of what I think about. And, and the, the reason I, I picture that is I probably watched Young Frankenstein too many times in college. <coughs> but uh, today we're going to go over why the Bible is true and why we can have confidence in it. Now, a lot of you are probably thinking, look, I already believe the Bible. I already know it's true, so this doesn't apply to me. Not so fast. Because first of all, from time to time, everybody gets doubts. Satan starts you know, gnawing at you a little bit, and you start doubting a little bit. You start doubting God's word. Um, but So we can all use that little boost of confidence, but we also have neighbors and friends and family that don't believe in the Bible, and hopefully this will give you guys a little bit of ammunition. It'll give you some confidence and some boldness that you can go to them and say, no, the Bible is true because. And it'll give you that opportunity to go out and just kind of you know, not argue them into the kingdom of heaven, but guide them into the kingdom of heaven. It's been said, if you want to convince someone of the veracity of the Bible, and this is someone that maybe refuses to listen to you, that you should encourage them to write a book debunking it. And um, there's a couple of books on apologetics, some apologetic authors in um, I'm not talking about uh, apologetics like authors that sit there and say I'm sorry a lot. Apologetics has to do with the defense of the faith. So you're defending the faith. In a couple of books um, <coughs> here, or excuse me, a couple of authors, uh, Frank Morrison and Lee Strobel. Frank Morrison was an attorney uh, in the early 1900s, uh, and he set out... Uh, to write a book, and as did Lee Strobel, but not to defend the faith. They set out to write a book tearing down the faith. They did their investigations because they wanted to shut the church down. Frank Morrison literally said within 20 years of me releasing this book, every church in America will be shut down. And Lee Strobel was an ardent atheist. Many of you may have read his book or seen the movie. Uh, ardent atheist, his wife accepted Christ. He was so upset he was going to divorce her. And one of his friends said, he said, look, you're the, the world-famous investigative journalist. Why don't you just prove it wrong? So these men set out to prove the Bible wrong, and in the middle of their investigation, the evidence was so overwhelming that they had no choice but to accept it. 
and then accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And they wrote their books from an entirely different perspective. That's also been said, if the Bible is false, one would be an idiot to follow it. But if the Bible is true, one would be an idiot not to. I think uh, there's some wisdom there. Why do so many people mistrust the Bible, though? And if you ask someone, uh, uh, you know, why they don't trust the Bible, they're going to say, because there's so many contradictions in it. Like what? That's, that's a really good question. Like what? Name a contradiction. And almost none of them can. They'll just say, well, I heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend who heard it from another, and I won't sing the song. But you know where I'm going with that. They, they heard it. They read it somewhere. They saw a special on the History Channel you know, that was written with the intent of tearing the Bible down. But they don't know the contradiction themselves. Um, or, you know, a lot of times there, there may be an, a legitimate contradiction that can be explained through cultural misunderstanding. Um, Jesus was going to be in the tomb for three days, okay? In America, three days is what, 72 hours? Was Jesus in the tomb 72 hours? No, he was not. That's a contradiction from an American perspective. But Jewish culture teaches any part of a day is a day. So he went into the tomb Friday. He was in the tomb Saturday. He got out of the tomb Sunday morning. That's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's not a contradiction. It's an apparent one, but it is not once it can be explained. So how do we know the Bible is true? Well, first of all, um, the Bible was written by 40 different human authors, from kings to prisoners, three different languages on three different continents, talked on hundreds of topics. That's a lot of diversity. And yet there's one consistent theme throughout it, and that is God's redemption of mankind through the Messiah throughout the Bible, every page. So how do we know the Bible is true? Well, we look at the maps. And I'm not talking about the maps in the back of your Bible. I'm talking about we're going to look at the manuscript evidence, the archaeological evidence, the prophetic evidence, and the statements of science. And yes, there's a lot of science in the Bible. Most people say that science and Christianity don't mix. They mix like oil and water. No, they do not. There's a lot of science in the Bible that was taught thousands of years before scientists finally discovered it. Now, hardly anyone would question the writings of Aristotle. You never hear any intellectual talk about, well, we don't know if that was really Aristotle or not. No, they don't argue that point. Yet the oldest manuscript we have of his is 1,400 years after its writing, found in the year 1100 A.D. And we only have five of his manuscripts total. Now these others on here, we have Caesar, Plato, Thucydides. I'm going to struggle with that. I knew who it was. Uh, Tacitus, Suetonius. They have, you know, probably ten probably an average of 10, and over a time span of 1,000 years old. People don't argue these. They, they, they consider this as absolute truth. By the way, Tacitus and Suetonius were uh, Roman historians, and uh, they actually corroborated a lot of the Bible and a lot of the writings, so that's good news. But check this out. On the next one, the New Testament, we have 
the earliest copy from 125 AD that was only 25 years old. And we have 24,000 manuscripts of the Old Testament. 24,000, not 10, not 11, we have 24,000. That's amazing if you think about it. So what? What does that mean? On Bible authenticity, there is an author by the name of Bart Ehrman, and he was called the great, calls himself the great skeptic. Uh, how many skeptics in the room? Just me? Because I'm a huge skeptic. I did not accept Christianity for years and years because I was such a skeptic. In 2005, he wrote a book called Misquoting Jesus. And in this book, uh, he says we cannot trust the New Testament. Yet this very same year, he wrote an updated academic work. And this is what he said. I'm going to quote him. In fact... Most of the errors found in the early Christian manuscripts have nothing to do with theology or ideology. Far and away the most changes are the result of mistakes, pure and simple, slips of the pen, accidental omissions, inadvertent additions, misspelled words, just blunders of one sort or another. Misspellings? He's going to say you can't trust the Bible because someone misspelled a word? Why such a huge contradiction in his position? Now, one might speculate, but I love what uh, Dr. Frank Turek said regarding this inconsistency. I'm going to quote him. He says, if I say something wrong to the academic community, they will correct you. If you say something wrong to the lay community, most don't know any better. But you can sell a lot of books if you say the New Testament documents aren't copied reliably. It also gets you quoted in the New York Times, gets you on Jay Leno, and so on. Dr. Turk continues, he totally contradicted himself in the same year. Perhaps instead of calling the book Misquoting Jesus, the book should have been called Ehrman Misquoting Himself. Love that. And so it is with so many of the other expose books. All these expose books talking about how you can't trust the Bible but it's not peer-reviewed. Almost none of them are peer-reviewed. Never makes it to an academic, they make claims they would never make to an academic crowd, and then the people line up with their money and they just buy books. Continuing on manuscript evidence, uh, Dead Sea Scrolls. Many of you may know about the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, they were a series of uh, scriptural scrolls found in uh, the Middle East in the Qumran Valley uh, there are 230 Old Testament documents in these jars that were sealed in these jars. A complete and intact version of the book of Isaiah was amongst it. They were written from 3rd century B.C. to 1st century B.C. Discovered in the caves of Qumran in 1947 by a Bedouin boy. Qumran is about 15 miles east of Jerusalem. Uh, and yet we, it gives us word-for-word -word copies of our Old Testament today. See, that's something I struggled with when I first started grappling with the Bible because I always figured over the years, you know, it's like a fish story, right? You talk to a fisherman and, you know, the fish, the fish they caught was this big and you know how, how it goes from there. It starts getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But really all along, the fish was this big. You know what I'm talking about. That's what I thought. I just thought that over time, you know, this guy lived to be 900 years old. Oh, he was probably 120 and some kids said, that guy's probably 900 years old. 
Now, this stuff was all documented, and over time, you would think that it got bigger and bigger. No, it did not, and the Dead Sea Scrolls really prove it, that you could go back and see that, that over, here's 2,100 years that these scrolls were in, in the cave, and not one word was changed. The only ever so slight changes that they found were punctuation marks. And punctuation can be important, but at the same time, a lot of the punctuation marks that were changed were just ones that were never used anymore. Like a, I think there's one called a harada. Or, I mean, who uses a semicolon anymore? I mean, you might use a colon. I still use a colon periodically, but who uses a semicolon? Now you put a comma or a dash. That was, those were the changes that were made. And interesting, I was talking to a friend of mine, and I was just talking to him about that I was struggling with my faith, and I was really new to Christ, maybe to six months. Uh, and I, was, I didn't tell him why or what was gnawing at me. I just said, I'm, I'm just kind of struggling. And he says, well, let me tell you why I believe the Bible to be true. I didn't tell him that my doubt was that I didn't think the Bible was true. And he went on for half an hour telling me about the Bible is true and the Dead Sea Scrolls, just nailing every doubt I had. And I, all I could think of is like, how did he know I was thinking this? Except I think he was under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Why is manuscript evidence important? Because it proves just how consistent the Bible has been over the years and how much effort went into keeping it accurate. Therefore, we can trust our eternity with it. On the archaeological evidence, Daniel and Belshazzar. Now, Belshazzar is pretty prominent in the book of Daniel. There's a number of, of uh, scriptures right off the top in the first year of Belshazzar, in the third year the king of Belshazzar. Um, but yet, the, the book of Daniel was mocked by archaeologists for centuries millennia, because there was never any mention anywhere else of, of Belshazzar until 1870. And all of a sudden, hey, there's something about Belshazzar. And now there's 37 archaeological artifacts that mention Belshazzar. So the Bible made a claim. Everyone laughed at it. Scientists finally discovered it. Science, it seems to come in behind a little bit too late. Moving on, uh, city of uh, Ur of the Chaldees. Uh, Abraham's hometown. No extra, extra biblical references until 1920. Sodom and Gomorrah, no extra biblical references until 1973. Pontius Pilate, same thing, until 2004. So people mock the Bible because they'd never heard anywhere else other than the Bible, and then all of a sudden, boom, here we go. Here's Ur the Chaldees. Here's Belshazzar. Uh, another New Testament archaeological example concerns the book of Luke's, Luke and Acts. Um, I'm going to read this. This is from the Christian Research Institute website. Quote, a biblical skeptic, Sir William Ramsey, trained as an archaeologist and then set out to disprove the historical reliability of this portion of the New Testament. However, through his painstaking Mediterranean archaeological trips, he became converted to Christ as one after another, the historical statements of Luke and Acts were proved accurate. Tell a guy to write a book, what's he going to do? He's going to become a Christian. I caught a, a thing on a, a magician. A magician said Jesus was just a magician. He didn't really do miracles. He was just a magician, and he, said, he set out to prove it and became a Christian. So there's no way that a magician could have done those things. 
Why is archaeological evidence important? Because the evidence produced by the archaeological digs alongside the manuscript evidence prove the historical side of the Bible to be accurate. The people and places were there, therefore we can trust the events were there as well. The archaeological evidence and the manuscript evidence, why is that important? You know, not that I want to get off on a tangent, but the Book of Mormon, I, I was reading some more on it yesterday. The Book of Mormon has all sorts of archaeological claims. There's all these cities that Joseph Smith talks about when the, the Nephites came over and, and there was city after city after city. Yet, hundreds of years later, none of those cities have ever been discovered. And here we are, you know, in America, and these cities were supposedly there. No evidence whatsoever. As far as the manuscript evidence, if you ever look at a, an early Book of Mormon, which you can't because they have them locked up because of all of the inconsistencies that have been discovered. But if you look at a, at a Book of Mormon that was written in, the, I think, like the 1830s, and you look at one today, there's thousands of changes that the, the book has made. Thousands of changes. And some of them were just spelling, and okay, that's all fine and good. Except Joseph Smith claimed that God gave the Book of Mormon to him letter by letter. And there were hundreds and hundreds of misspellings, so evidently God is a bad speller. Um, and, and, and that's all you know, minor stuff. But, uh, for instance, um, King Benjamin at one point it was in the in a timeline and it didn't fit because it by the time king benjamin died supposedly um he wouldn't have been around to to uh translate some scrolls so what do they do do they change the timeline what are they going to do well you start changing timelines around then you trip up another thing and then you trip up another thing you trip up another thing king benjamin is not in any of the the new books of mormon but what they did was they changed it to King Mosiah. They just added a character. So you can see that their manuscript evidence does not add up. I could talk all, I could do three sermons on the Book of Mormon. Statements of science. Uh, it's taken science millennia to catch up which with, the, with what the Bible has been teaching all along. Um, Ecclesiastes refers to the prevailing winds, patterns and wind currents not understood by science until the mid-1800s. The book of Job, 26, verse 7, uh, speaks of the earth being hung in the sky, therefore claiming gravity and momentum. Science in the day thought that the earth rested on the back of a turtle. And even Egyptian teachings that Moses would have been taught was that the earth was a giant egg. But that's not what Moses wrote about. So here he was taught all this stuff, but he, but he said, no, the earth is an object and it's hung in space. God taught Moses better. Genesis 1-7 says God hung the stars in the sky, therefore stars are objects. Uh, prevailing science in the day up until the 1600s thought that stars were holes in the fabric of space where light was shining through from the other side until Galileo proved differently. 1 Corinthians also speaks each star is unique, so they're not holes in the fabric of space. Isaiah speaks of the roundness of the earth when the earth was considered flat. Now here's something interesting. Um, in the Bible, God says that your sins will be removed as far as the east is from the west. Why not north from the south? Why does the Bible say east from the west? Because north from south is finite. You can travel south from north to south for only 12,000 miles. That could be measured. 
to the inch. How far can you travel east? Forever. You can travel east forever. It's infinite. Interesting tidbit. Jewish sanitary practices dictated in the books of the law were there to protect God's people from bacteria. Bacteria was not discovered until 1675. And then it wasn't even widely accepted until the 1800s. One of the biggest uh, killers of the Civil War was infection. Doctors didn't understand bacteria. Uh, the, those same sanitary laws taught in the scriptures, Jews were spared much of the misery of the plagues of the Middle Ages because they cooked their food differently, they washed their hands differently. Bacteria was not known, but God knew about it. Genesis 7-1 refers to ocean springs. Ocean springs were considered ridiculous until 1977 when some were discovered off the coast of Ecuador. Again, science took years and years and millennia to catch up. Why is science in the Bible important? Because it proves the designer understood the intricacies of his creation long before supposed scientists did. Prophetic evidence. Out of the 66 books in the Bible, 17 are devoted to prophecy. A third of the Bible is prophecy. And over half of it's come true already. In fact, the Bible is the only major religious book that dares predict the future. The Quran doesn't predict the future. The Book of Mormon doesn't predict the future. None of the, the Far Eastern mysticism religions pr predict the future. Because you can't predict the future with any reasonable certainty. There are 300 Old Testament prophecies regarding the coming of Christ alone, the first coming. Much less the rest of history. The... Uh, Prophecies for the Messiah would include, I'll just kind of go through this quickly, Messiah to be born in Bethlehem. Messiah betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Messiah's clothes would be gambled away. Messiah's hands and feet would be pierced, yet Messiah's bones would not be broken. Messiah would be born to the tribe of Judah. Messiah would be called from Egypt. Matthew cites the prophets. The Messiah would be called a Nazarene. Now that's interesting. So the Bible says that the Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem, going to come from Egypt, going to come from Nazareth. How is that possible? Jesus pulled it off. Because Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he came back from Egypt and he settled in Nazareth. Finally, Messiah would be buried in a rich man's grave. These are all prophecies that were, that were predicted hundreds and hundreds of years prior if just eight prophecies were to come true for one man, the, the odds would be as if you put a mark on a silver dollar and you buried it in two feet of silver dollars in an area the size of Kern County. And you go along and you f you're just walking along and you say, I think I'm going to go here, I'm going to go eight down, and I pull up that silver dollar. Oh, I'm sorry, not Kern County, Texas. How ridiculous is that? Texas. Two feet of silver dollars all across Texas. And you're going to walk along and walk along and go, I think I'm going to... What are the odds of that? It's ridiculous. And yet some people don't believe it. Imagine predicting nine Super Bowls. Imagine predicting nine Super Bowls. I'm going to predict the first nine Super Bowls and how they win. Well, it's easy for me to do now. I can go back and look at, look at history. 
Imagine in Christopher Columbus's day. You're going to predict the first nine winners of the Super Bowl. What's the Super Bowl? What's football? Who the heck is Green Bay? Okay. Six point seven trillion to one. See how statistics can really ramp up. Jesus nailed three hundred out of three hundred predictions. Three hundred, not eight, not nine, three hundred. And that that silver coin thing I was telling you about—that's just for for eight. Why is prophetic evidence important? Because it proves that the inventor of time himself sees the future just like he sees the past. Only a perfect and omniscient being can predict the future with 100% accuracy. Here's a sad statistic. Pew Research Center said from a survey, when questioned, if the Bible could be proved conclusively to you, would you become a Christian? 70%. 4% of atheists said no. So who's really checking their brain at the door? See, it's not, it's not a head issue. It's a heart issue. What's the distance between heaven and hell? Does anyone know? 18 inches between my brain and my heart. 74% said no, even if they were given conclusive proof And yet, atheists think that we have to check our brain at the door. Makes me scratch my head. If the Bible is not true, one would be an idiot to follow it. But if the Bible is true, since we know the Bible is true, one would be an idiot not to. I wish I had more time on, the, on this. It's kind of hard to squeeze 30 hours worth of stuff into 30 minutes. I mean, you know, you could probably preach on this for a year. You know, there's, there's so many things that, that, that we could go over. The, there's the Gnostic Gospels, you know, the books that aren't in the Bible, and um, verses that used to be in the Bible that aren't anymore. Uh, all right, well, real quick. No charge for this. Um, some verses like are in the, and you'll, you'll see this on Facebook all the time. There's verses in the King James that aren't in the NIV. Why not? Well, the, the King James people that put it together did a fantastic job using the manuscripts they had at the time. At that time. But 400 years later, we have better manuscripts and older manuscripts. And what were in the manuscripts at one point, because some well-meaning monk inserted this, then they realized, no, that really wasn't what was in there, so they've been removed. So incorrectly added, correctly deleted. Uh, Gnostic Gospels, why aren't they in the Bible? Uh, That would be like the the Gospels of Thomas, the Gospel of Mary, the Gospel of Peter. Why aren't they in there? Well, first of all, they were written in the second and third century long after these people died. And so these people thought, well, how do we get some traction out of that? Well, it's kind of like the Bart Ehrman thing. Say something that'll sell a lot of books. You can't call it the Gospel of SpongeBob SquarePants and get any kind of, no one would buy that book. But if you say the gospel of Peter, whoa, this is the gospel of Peter. People say, well, we'll buy that book. So why aren't they in the Bible? Because it's based on a lie. So a lot of that stuff. Um, Going deeper. Some really good books up here. I already mentioned Frank Morrison's book, Who Moved the Stone? 
he, he does it from an attorney's perspective, and you'll just love it. He, he just says, well, we've got this avenue, and then this is going to split, and then this is going to split. And he just goes through, and he checks each and every one of them, and finally comes to the conclusion, who moved the stone? There was nobody that could have moved the stone except God. Good book. Um, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, Josh McDowell. Uh, I love this one. I haven't read it yet. I, I don't read a lot of books. So I'm actually really bad about it. But it, I have read, read Who Moved the Stone in Case for Christ. Um, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. What a great title. Norman Geisler and Frank Turek. I already quoted Frank Turek earlier. Uh, the whole Case for Christ series, Case for Christ, Case for Faith, Case for Resurrection, Case for Miracles. Lee Strobel, fantastic reading. Because uh, once you know and you're armed with the evidence, then you realize when I come into church, I don't have to check my brain at the door. Uh, also going deeper, um, Frank Turek has a YouTube channel. Here's his, his website. Uh, he also has a, a YouTube channel called Cross Examined, which I love the title. If you just think about that, Cross Examined. Um, he uh, does all sorts of little two-minute, five-minute, 20-minute, even a couple that are two hours. Um, where he's doing Q&A in a college setting where people are coming up saying, oh, yeah, well, what about the Koran? And he says, okay, well, let's talk about that. And he'll explain. This is what the Bible says. This is what the Koran says. And, he'll just, and he just explains it so well. Um, highly recommended. He's got hundreds of videos on his YouTube channel. What does this all mean? It means you can have confidence, that you can go out in boldness, that you can believe yourself, that those times that you get doubts, that all of a sudden you're, you're home alone, it's late, and you're lonely, and, and you're upset because you haven't heard from someone in a while, and, and, and Satan just starts gnawing at you, and you just start getting doubts. You can have confidence knowing that the Bible is true, that you can doubt your doubts, it happens to me all the time, but I just, I just stand on the Word of God and say, I know this is true. Since we know the Bible to be true, we know 1 John 5.13 is true. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. It means the Bible is fact and not fiction. It means God is real. It means He loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. Or if he has a relationship with you, he wants a deeper relationship with you. The distance between heaven and hell is 18 inches. I just packed your brain with facts. Bring it to your heart. So Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you love us so much that you chose to write it down. And you impressed on the generations, generation after generation after generation, to preserve the word and to preserve it accurately so that we know what you said. We know what you're thinking. We know your heart. And we know that you love us and that you want more from us. So Father, may we go out in boldness and confidence and continue to pursue you. And we ask this in Jesus' name.